there are those things by now that you should be capturing that should begin resonating with your spirit, mind, and body. And I thought Tom did an incredible job this morning that continues to resonate in my mind this afternoon. It's interesting to me that in 2002, there was this book that was a very simple read. And yet, this book has been marked by one of the by, by being measured as one of the best-selling nonfiction books in our time. Over 35 million copies uh, were sold. Not only 35 million copies, but now it's in 85 different languages. And this book is read all over the world. Since 2002, it's still a book that has this theme. Tom talked about a question but it has this theme that answers, I believe, a very fundamental question. It's a core question. It's a core question that I think is what led George Wims, our founder, in 1844 to be moved to be a part of finding something that would make a difference in the lives of young men. I think it's the question that caused Naismith to invent basketball. It's that question that caused John R. Mott to know that we needed, at a time period in the globalization of the world, but we needed a strategy for global mission. It was in 1860s when Ms. Ellen Brown, even though the YMCA, the Young Men's Christian Organization, at that time didn't understand the leadership dynamic of women, but as a volunteer, she started a department in New York and became the secretary of board. It's that question that moved Harriet Tubman to be that courageous leader in the Underground Railroad. It's that question that caused Fannie Lou Hamer to say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired and really changed the political environment of politics in the 1960 convention. It's that question that caused one of the first entrepreneurs, one of the first African-American leaders to give philanthropically to the YMCA in Indianapolis, Madam C.J. Walker, who was an innovator extraordinaire. It was that question that I believe motivated Mark Spitz to win the Olympics and to have so many gold medals. It was that question that caused Billie Jean King to be a trailblazer. It was that question who, strangely enough, a diminutive woman would be known as well for what it really means to engage and change lives. Mother Teresa who would be a Nobel Prize winner. It would be that question that I think motivated Mahatma Gandhi to change the course of nonviolence that would influence Martin Luther King. And it was that question that caused Nelson Mandela, who spent most of his life in prison, to say, no, I could be the leader of South Africa and even the president. That question motivated a little woman, Sojourner Truth, to become the first black woman who was a slave that went to court to get her freedom from her master, who at an Ohio's women's convention would deliver this speech saying, ain't I a woman? That question is a question that plagues each of us as leaders. And by now, hopefully you know the book, it was Rick Warren, Purpose Driven Life, but he had that question that I think I'm still wrestling with. What on earth? am I here for? What on earth am I here for? See, I think we're drawn to that question because we are designed to live on purpose. And by living on purpose, 
it makes us, to what Ralph Ellison said, the invisible man, it makes us visible. You know, I really began thinking about purpose by accident when I stumbled upon that must-read play by William Shakespeare, Hamlet, very early. Yes, I enjoyed Hamlet, but, but it was the question that Hamlet asked that whether you know Shakespeare or not, you probably heard this, to be or not to be, that is the question. And I always wondered, even as a little boy, when I encountered that statement, but well, what is the answer? I think Jay-Z, that philosopher of our time, gave us a clue in a 2017 New York Times interview when Jay-Z said this. He said that one of the most profitable things that he learned going through therapy, love the transparency of Jay-Z, Beyonce made sure that he went through therapy, is he says that everything is connected. Jay-Z said, everything is connected, past, present, and future. See, everything is connected. Most of us encountered that question. For me, it was 1967, in the first grade, when someone asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it was at that point that I knew I had to answer a purpose-driven question. What first grader can have a purpose-driven question? And my answer was an answer that I lived with for a great deal of my life. I wanted to be a lawyer. Well, that didn't happen. Well, sort of, kind of. Because life is still about answering that question. Because I do believe we're designed to live on purpose. And when we do that, it makes us visible. You see, today, many of us, when we think about that, we often know that we want to do something pur purposeful. Even there's an urban saying, this idea when we live on purpose that I love, where people will say, let's say if you got on a new shirt, man, I see you. In other words, to say I see you means, man, that looks good. You got a new suit. Hey, I see you. You finished running an incredible race. I see you. Uh, when, you do, when you're with a wife, and I've got a beautiful wife, when you see me with her, you would say, I see you. I see you as this idea that we are visible and we all want to be visible. Part of being visible though, and part of having purpose has a lot to do with our past story. See, our past story really does matter. In many ways, the challenges of our past is part of what sets us on a course of purpose. And sometimes when we think about our past, we're sometimes afraid to admit that our past has really influenced our purpose. You know, it's interesting, but one of the people we often think about is Dr. Martin Luther King. And sometimes we relegate him to his speech in his March on Washington, or we see some of the images of him in the civil rights movement. We think of letters from a Birmingham jail, and we wonder how did someone have such genius and was so motivated to have purpose? And if you know the real story of Dr. King, it really began when he was a little boy. A lot of people don't realize this, but Dr. King's original name was not Martin Luther King, his name was Michael. But his father, being a man of purpose, had a chance to go to Germany and decided that when he saw the name Martin Luther, he would come back, change the name of his son, and even change his own name. Talk about wanting to have purpose. So as a little boy, Martin Luther King became visible. But in his writings, he talks about the thing that set him on the course of his life. And 
Some of us think that it was when he engaged in the civil rights movement in those meetings when he had returned and pastoring his first church. But Dr. King, in his biography, he mentions when he was a little boy. And when he was a little boy, him and his father in a segregated world, they went into a shoe store. But he never forgot that, again, this is when that moment in the 1930s, the shoe clerk said, we're not going to serve you here and invited him to sit in the back of the store if he wanted shoes. King records, he'll never forget that his father stood up, said to the clerk, then you won't have our business here. Dr. King says he will never forget the anger that was in his father as he left that moment. You see, Dr. King saw purpose being instilled in that moment because his father would not adjust to a system of Jim Crow of separate and unequal, but he had a son, Martin Luther King, who began to engage a purpose that said, I will change that system. See, that reminds me of what James Baldwin said. Baldwin said it this way, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. Our purpose is really designed probably very early. Probably when we were a child, many of us are working on purpose that makes us visible now, probably in those moments that we don't even realize, moments that come out of trauma that says we have to do more with our life. I like what Angela Davis says. She said it this way. She says, I'm no longer accepting the things that I cannot change. I'm changing the things that I cannot accept. Perhaps we're here living on purpose because there are things that we are saying must change in our world today. But when it comes to purpose, and especially as, as leaders in a YMCA movement, we often hear about purpose. And, and I think there's this challenge that we face. And part of that challenge that we face, especially when there's so much language of purpose, cause-driven leadership, being leaders of equity, et cetera, all sorts of language. But then I think there's this point we have to be careful of, that we have to be careful that when we don't live on purpose, we might be living with pretending to have purpose. Parker Palmer, one of my favorite thinkers in his book, Let Your Life Speak, he suggests this. He says that you should let your life speak rather than telling your life what you're gonna do with it. In other words, he says, you want to live not life by some formula, but as a leader, you want to live life knowing that everything happens by formation. See, I think one of the challenges, and we often think of those in the nonprofit world, in the for-profit world, but I think nonprofit or for-profit, sometimes you can have boxes that you check to say you live on purpose. Well, I graduated from college. I found a spouse. I found someone to be my partner. I have kids. I've settled into a nice neighborhood. I'm on a well-defined career path. Uh, now I just have to hang on until my retirement check comes in. And many of us say, well, that's not us. But I wonder if maybe we may even have pretend purpose. I wonder if we've designed boxes as leaders, professional leaders in our YMCA. I, I wonder when we talk about leaders and when we talk about being mission-driven, I wonder do we really understand that that's not just language? I wonder now that just talking about collaboration and cohorts and 
other learning opportunities and strength-based leadership even, I wonder if that's become boxes that we check rather than being courageous enough to live on purpose. Because sooner or later, life will challenge you to have something that is critical if you're going to be visible, something that we miss, it will mean you have to have courage because something will happen, I believe, when you live long enough to stop the pretending. Sometimes we don't think that we can live with purpose. Sometimes we don't want to be visible because of the language that we have in our head. It's self-talk. It's saying things like, well, I'm not smart enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not small enough. I'm not athletic enough. Uh, maybe even saying I'm not white enough. Maybe even thinking that my voice is not deep enough. Maybe I'm not creative enough. I'm not innovative enough. I'm not handsome enough. I'm not pretty enough. I wonder if the messages in our mind causes us to be invisible rather than visible people with purpose. Because, see, visibility requires courage. Courage to learn. It's interesting that we talk about learning, but one of the things that becomes critical and important is that we understand that life is about learning. And learning does not mean weakness because all of life is learning. I believe we're in a moment that maybe we need to begin measuring our success by how we learn before we think about, am I a leader? Because we're in a time period now more than any other generation to where learning has become part of the substance of who we are and how we journey. Because the reality is it's not about who knows the most information because at a click of a button, I can go anywhere in a library, I can get any knowledge source. At the click of a button, I can get more ideas than ever before. But the challenge is, am I willing to be a learner? Part of being that purpose-driven person that is visible is that I'm courageous enough to say, that I am learning. There's even a neurological benefit to learning. They even suggest that the white matter in our brain begins to grow and improve performance when we begin to learn. And as that happens, we begin to learn better. See, one of the things that happens with learning is that learning becomes the substance of how we become visible because we show up understanding that we're willing to learn. But when you say I'm a learner, it means there's something you don't know and that requires courage. The other challenge with learning is this, that real learning doesn't happen until you are uncomfortable. I'm thankful for Dr. Brene Brown making that a reality in many of her books, that learning doesn't happen until you're uncomfortable. One of the mysteries of American history, and I'm intentionally saying American history, is because sometimes I think we avoid this part of our history because it's filled with such trauma, but it's a part of our history that leaves me with a question mark. How in the world could a people who endured 244 years of inhuman slavery, another 91 years of Jim Crow, how in the world could that group of people in a short window of time begin to engage life, normality? Could it be that maybe as Dr. Brene Brown, there's a cultural moment in our history that develops learners? Perhaps that's the only way you can explain our own Anthony Bowen. Anthony Bowen, 
who in Washington, D.C., first of all, he purchased his freedom in the 1800s. Not only did he purchase his freedom, but in 1826, this is the full Emancipation Proclamation, he also began working in a government patent officer office, and then he built and founded the first YMCA. Maybe that's not mystical or magical. Maybe it's because Anthony Bowen and the trauma of slavery became this inc incredible learner. Why? Because he had courage. When you think of Harriet Tubman, there's a recent movie, and that movie highlighted her faith perspective, which sometimes when you look at history, the only way you can explain it is there has to be a transcendent supernatural God. But perhaps Harriet Tubman designed the Underground Railroad, not even being able to read, able to follow the path and able to rescue and then serve in the, union, in the army. Maybe she was able to do that because all of that trauma developed the genius of learning. That's even true in our culture today. One of my favorite artists is Nye. And Nas said it this way in his song, I Can. He says, be, be boys and girls, listen up. You can be anything in the world and God we trust, an architect, a doctor, maybe an actress, but nothing comes easy and it takes much practice. See, sometimes right among us, we have artists in urban America in the history of hip hop. The genius was because there was learning, learning that happened in the midst of trauma, but courageous learning. We saw that courage here recently from, oh, you know, Beyonce, her, her album Lemonade, where she as well demonstrates genius when in her song Freedom, she says, Lord, forgive me. I've been running, running blind in truth. I'm a rain. I'm a rain on the bitter love till the sweet. I'm new. I'm telling these tears go and fall away, fall away. May it, the last one burn in flames. Freedom, freedom, I can't move. The trauma of a husband who had an affair becomes the genius with courage. Seeing that courage, it will require us to have courage to grow. And when you have courage to grow, you see Dr. Brene Brown is right, that, that maybe when you really begin to say that it's about learning, then maybe that word failure is really not an accurate word because maybe failure is the opportunity for learning to take place. You see, finally, again, if we're gonna be seen, if we're gonna be visible, then it really does take courage though to change into not someone you pretend to be, but into your authentic self. Rhapsody said it this way. She said, don't be flirting with your gift, you better marry it. All too often for us as YMCA leaders, for those of us, again, who want to be purpose-driven, have got to understand that all of us have been given and designed with gifts that we know we have a purpose. We just can't be afraid to engage it. Sometimes that purpose is designed when we decide, I'll be my authentic self. One of the places where you become, I believe, mostly your authentic self is in the beginning of your name. For years, and some of you may have heard me tell this story, but for years, I was ashamed of my name. I was born in 1961, and I couldn't understand why my dad named me James Alfred White. Man, I thought this got to be a mistake. First, I was already short. I was a bit overweight. Couldn't you at least give me a cooler name? 
I didn't realize that even in my name, there was a sense of purpose that would forever make me visible. Why? Because see, my father, again, had his own challenges with alcoholism. And any black man who was born in 1923, who served in an army that didn't serve him in World War II in a segregated army, had his challenges. And now I understood that. But my dad was that silent man who didn't have much affection, I thought. It wasn't until after his funeral that his first cousin explained to me when I was sort of explaining some of my regret that my dad never really gave me emotion beyond when he was intoxicated. But here's what she told me. She said, what do you mean? She said, don't you know your name? I said, well, yeah, James Alfred White. Well, your dad was not raised by his mother. He was raised by a grandmother who had her own struggles. And your dad's only brother was James. He was raised by his aunt Alice and his uncle Fred. See, your name was given to you because those were the only people that your dad ever had that love. And they gave him a family. My origin, my purpose, I'm visible. Because in the beginning, even my name, James Alfred White, makes me visible. Sometimes when we find our purpose, it does happen through challenges, through trauma that we rather forget. Dr. King was wise when he understood that it was a poem from the Harlem Renaissance by Langston Hughes that dealt with the leadership of a mother and a son. And the mother said these words, and Dr. King quoted this in one of his speeches that he gave in 1960 at Spelman College. He said this, he said, well, son, I'll tell you, life for me ain't been no crystal stair. It's had tacks in it and splinters and boards torn up and places with no carpet. The floor is bare, but eyes have been a climbing and been reaching landings and turning corners and sometimes going in the dark and there ain't been no light. So boy, don't you turn back. Don't you sit down on the steps cause you find it kind of hard and don't fall now. Well, you see, honey, I'm going, I'm still climbing and life for me ain't been no crystal stair. Dr. King, as he spoke to this audience of college women who were incredible leaders, he said, forgive the grammar, but remember the woman's message. Because what she's saying is, is that no matter what, keep moving. For it may well be that the greatest song has not been sung yet. Keep moving. The greatest book has not been written. Keep moving. The highest mountain may have not been climbed. Keep moving. This is your challenge. Reach out, grab it. But there's something we can learn from this mother. And that is all of us must keep moving. If you can't fly, run. If you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl, but by God's sake, please keep moving. I would say to us, you and I have been designed for purpose. Purpose that sometimes comes out of painful places, but purpose that makes us visible. And we have an opportunity, I would say a mandate, to not have a pretend purpose, but a real purpose. I'm glad even at this stage in my life, at 58 years old, I'm excited about being visible with purpose. 
Because we're now serving in a movement. Every day we will see people who need people who understand that it's not over yet. And as a YMCA, as leaders, that we must keep moving. Because if we don't, then perhaps our purpose may have to find us. So my hope for us is that we understand too much is at stake and as well, somebody is waiting for us to answer that question. What on earth are we here for? For a purpose that will change all who encounter us. Please, let's keep it.